Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome into Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, Ryan Fowler, from the Draft Network. And before we get rolling with today's episode, wanted to let you know that this episode is brought to you by our partners at BetOnline. BetOnline continues to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports development, including this year's NBA Finals, the Stanley Cup Finals, Major League Baseball, and all your latest betting needs in the MMA, including NFL futures bets for this upcoming fall. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code believe that's B L E A V to get the bonus and get into the action bet online where the game starts. So let's jump right in to today's episode. It's going to be a busy one with mandatory mini camp wrapping up in Ashburn today after three days, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday after the Commanders held media day at the facility on Monday. And there's lots of positives and there are some negatives to look at. Obviously, the biggest negative is the absence of number 17 and Terry McLaurin. But as the days have wore on this week, there are some positives out of Ashburn that they are working with Terry, his agency, his representatives on a long-term contract extension. Ron Rivera has said many times before in the offseason and in years prior that obviously Terry is a cornerstone for the Burgundy and Gold. They're going to do everything in their power to keep him in Washington, not just this year in 2022, but hopefully into 2025, six or seven or potentially longer down the road. He's definitely earned that contract post, you know, his first four years in the league on that rookie deal. He's become arguably one of the best receivers Washington has had in decades back to the years of Art Monk and Gary Clark and Charlie Taylor. And then you move forward into the years of the success of Lavernius Coles and Santana Moss. And you could even throw Pierre Garcon in there with the success and multiple 1,000-yard seasons that he enjoyed in the middle of the 2010s. But Terry McLaurin has been everything for this Washington team and a guy that the community has been able to rally around and one of the true nice nicest individuals and most humble athletes personally that I've ever met and if any of you guys out there have met Terry or had the chance to to talk with him understand exactly what I'm talking about you know we hear it all the time as far as players that sometimes get too big for their britches um, when they get you know this kind of a this atmosphere uh, you know of being an NFL and being a professional athlete no matter if you're talking about the NFL or NBA or Major League Baseball sometimes you know individuals just think sometimes they're above you, right? But Terry McLaurin is that person that is a voice and you can rally around in the locker room. And obviously when you get him strapped up and put him you know, outside the hashes is somebody that competes his tail off and succeeds every single week. And it doesn't matter who's throwing him the football, whether it's Case Keenum or was Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, Taylor Heineke, he succeeds week in and week out. Doesn't matter if teams are doubling him or bracketing him on the outside. He consistently wins and shows up every single week. And hopefully sooner rather than later, they'll get that deal done and have Terry ready to go for training camp, moving into the preseason, obviously week one, the big matchup hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars. But want to move into the positives that came out of minicamp this week. 
and there's a lot of them. But I want to start with the receivers, and because of the absence of Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson and Deami Brown said throughout the week that with Terry being absent, them being thrust into for Dotson was a wide receiver one role, and Deami Brown working hand in hand with Curtis Samuel as that wide receiver two, wide receiver three. That's helped their rapport right away with Carson Wentz and with everybody now in the building, in the classrooms, learning together. You walk around the facility, at the cafeteria, you're in the weight room working out together, starting to develop that rapport. And for Diami and Jahan, obviously Diami entering year two and Jahan out of college as the first round pick that Washington spent on this year, that's going to matter. That chemistry right away is going to matter, especially when you're working with a guy like Carson Wentz, who is probably going to rely, obviously, on Terry once he gets in the building because they're both veterans. But when you can have more weapons on the outside, like Dotson, like Samuel, like Brown, they're going to be able to provide that this year. Getting one-on-one reps against the corners and William Jackson and Benjamin St. Juice, which we'll get to in a little bit, and Kendall Fuller, getting more and more targets and more and more experience and really throwing them into the fire of live reps of one-on-ones against Washington's defense, which is obviously we expect to be a potential top five unit in football this year, is only going to help them. So that's a major positive of the success of Jahan and Diami throughout this offseason and obviously working in to minicamp. Diami looks bigger. He probably gained probably three to five, seven pounds maybe of muscle. He looks yoked up in the pictures that I've seen coming out of camp. But Jahan and Diami were major positives coming out of this minicamp, and I'm really excited for them to come back here later, late in July, about a little over a month from now, when they get rocking and rolling for training camp. And then one of the wide receivers I wanted to talk about, and we kind of have seen it in the past, whether it was even Dax Mill last year as a seventh rounder making his name, or years back with Brandon Banks, or a guy like Anthony Armstrong, someone that comes in kind of relatively unknown, but proves himself, whether it's working in individual drills or one-on-ones, or you're working in seven-on-seven, nine-on-nines, or full-on 11-on-11 team drills. Markin Michelle, who was a UDFA just a few years back, spent time with the Eagles. He spent time with the Panthers in 2020, but was most recently, his success came in the CFL, where he spent time with the Calgary Stampeders, and then Went into the NFL and spent some time on a practice squad. Won a Grey Cup in Canada, which is the equivalent of a Super Bowl in the NFL. But a guy, now he's a little older. He was born in 93, so he's 28 years old. But this is a guy, 5'11", 190, can create down the field. He's been a standout in minicamp. Now, you kind of have to take that into a perspective lens with who he's working against, and for most of this week, he's been working with the threes. So Sam Howell's been his quarterback, hasn't been Carson Wentz, hasn't been Taylor Heineke when you're rolling with the twos. So he's working against kind of the lower guys on the roster. But if you can play, you can play. And all these guys are NFL guys. You're not going to sit here and say these guys aren't good players. They're getting an NFL shot, and you're in the NFL, the highest level of competition in the sport in the world. But he's been around the block a little bit. So really, he is a veteran at 28 years old because he's played in the CFL and succeeded there. He has over 1,000 yards in his career there. Then he's in the NFL, and he's had some success with the Eagles and then spent time with the Panthers. And I know all of you out there, everyone has to come for the Panthers. Um, But if you can play, you can play. And relationships obviously matter. You guys in the business world understand that. And the same thing goes in sports. Relationships matter. You see a lot of names, whether it's coaching, that they get recycled 
general managers, front office executives that get recycled, and then players and teams and relationships. Guys bounce from team to team, and you see kind of the same faces in different places. But I think Markin Michelle, 5'11", 191, someone that has a shot when you move into training camp to potentially make the back end of this roster or potentially become a guy that they could see or stash on the practice squad and a place that he probably is too familiar with at this point in his career. He wants to kind of work out of that, especially as he approaches 30 years old. But if he can compete his tail off, we know that Ron Rivera is going to give guys opportunities that could compete. And throughout Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday's sessions, he showed that he can compete and succeed against whoever he's facing. So Mark and Michelle definitely deserves some props as a guy that took an opportunity and has run with it. From there, I want to transition into the tight end group. And I've been really impressed with the tight ends, despite Logan Thomas not participating as much as we'd like. And hopefully he's ready for training camp and the regular season. But the depth behind him and Cole Turner, John Bates, and newfound tight end from transitioning from the wide receiver spot and Antonio Gandy-Golden has really been a bright spot in this roster. And Ron Rivera talked about it today, but the arrival and hiring of Juan Castillo in the tight ends room has been massive for the progression of all the young tight ends. Because even if you look at Logan Thomas, remember, he was at Virginia Tech as a quarterback and then was drafted by the Cardinals and switched to tight end. And then came to Washington and was a tight end. But if you think about it, he didn't play tight end in college. He wasn't successful in the ACC catching passes. Trying to learn that position, he's still relatively new to it compared to the guys out there in football, to the George Kittles, Travis Kelsey's, Darren Wallers, that Kyle Pitts, that have played the position their entire life and understand the really the intricate optics of not just being able to run routes in the NFL nowadays when tight ends are really just potentially bigger, more physical wide receivers, if you think about it. And then you can put your finger in the ground and be able to block guys and move 300-pound defensive linemen or get up to the second level and seal a 250-pound linebacker that can run a 4-5. They're still learning those things. And all those things come from Castillo as far as teaching these guys in the tight ends room during mini camps as a move into training camp. Cole Turner, Gandy Golden, John Bates, having that veteran leadership, and I think Rivera put it extremely well in that having someone that he's familiar with and setting protections, which he relied Pete Herner, the former tight ends coach, and Randy Jordan, the running back coach, they set the protections alongside John Matsko, the offensive line coach. That's not Rivera, that's not Scott Turner. And having someone in Castillo that's familiar with what Scott wants to do from a protection standpoint in all phases, from your linemen, inward to outside to the tackles, from your running backs and pass pro, and to your tight ends, which are obviously extremely important. We saw John Bates last year, who was the best rookie tight end blocker in the entire NFL, completely dominant and being able to displace defensive linemen and linebackers and creating paths for Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick. And then as you even worked into the back end of the year when Jonathan Williams and Jared Patterson got some touches. That's extremely important. And I think it's been overlooked of Castillo's arrival because of how young Washington's tight ends are and how inexperienced they are at the NFL level. I talk about it all the time and you can have all the talent in the world. And you look at Logan Thomas and Cole Turner and their pass catching prowess on paper. And John Bates obviously doesn't match up to them. And Antonio Gandy-Golden definitely does as a former wide out that Washington took in the fourth round a few years ago 
out of liberty, but you can have all the talent in the world. But if you're not able to develop it, mentor it, and coach it, they're just bodies in a uniform. But with Ron, with Scott Turner, and what he does with his tight ends, they don't overuse 12 personnel. And when I say 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, it's 12 personnel. They don't overuse that personnel scheme. I think you look back to years past in Washington and they've always had good tight ends. Most recently with the, you know, if, when they ran 12 with Jordan Reed and Vernon Davis and even farther back with Fred Davis and Chris Cooley. I know all you guys back there love Chris Cooley, but, um, you know, keeping that mentorship and that coaching ability and having that for such a young group will, will help this group grow extremely quick and kind of shorten that grace period when these guys are out there playing because I feel like you look into this year and if Logan isn't able to get healthy working into week one and you're going to have to rely on guys like John Bates even more and Cole Turner as a rookie and Antonio Gandy-Golden is completely new to the position that's a little bit worrisome but if you're being coached correctly if you're prepared there's no reason to feel cautious or feel worrisome. And I feel like with Juan in the building and knowing that he knows what Scott wants in his offense and what Ron wants from the tight end spot, that will immediately help Washington's tight end positional group this year. From there, I wanted to talk a little bit of the offensive line as Charles Leno and Cornelius Lucas missed practice yesterday and we saw Sadiq Charles get some work. And we talked about this a couple months ago on the pod, one of my first episodes when I officially launched this podcast, is where is Sadiq Charles in this offensive lineman group? Is he a tackle? Is he a guard? What is he right now? Because when they took him out of LSU, he was a heavy-footed tackle that you had to project as someone that was going to lose a lot of baby fat and ability to create quicker footwork to ability to counter the edge rushers at the NFL level. And as we've seen early in his career, he hasn't been able to do that. And they tried to work him in a little bit as a depth guard. But he hasn't worked on any substantial snaps at all so far in his NFL career. But with the absence of Leno and Charles yesterday, he got some reps at tackle. And it's kind of giving a glimpse into what this coaching staff and really where John Matsko sees him playing eventually into the future. Because... Who knows if Charles Leno or Cornelius Lucas were to go down this year. Now, granted, you have Sam Cosme on the right side, and Lucas looks to be the swing tackle option right now, but you can never have enough depth. And if it's Charles and he can be a swing tackle, as well as your swing guard, that versatility is absolutely priceless for someone that has SEC experience at LSU and someone that obviously they want to continue to grow and continue to work with and believe that they can work with him and is a coachable athlete along a front five, that veteran front five, where he's going to be able to learn from guys at the tackle spot like Leno and Sam Cosme, even though he's working into his second year, but enjoyed some success in year one before injury. And then on the inside, with veterans like Andrew Norwell, Chase Woulier at center, and Trey Turner, who's going to line at right guard. Now, granted, he's only 28 years old, but he has five Pro Bowls under his belt. So getting a glimpse at Sadiq working at the left tackle spot is really a positive thing for him and someone that was really highly touted coming out of LSU and right now is someone that could be a make or break year for him 
with limited reps both in games, regular season, and in practice as well. And all we've really seen is Sadiq Charles is whether he's getting hurt or he kind of flashes a little bit in preseason. So this is a big year for him. I don't think he's going to be a starter in this league, maybe down the road. Um, but for someone that has that depth ability to come in and be a high-level depth guy, he could be that for Washington this fall because we know, and unfortunately, injuries are a part of the game. But you have to have depth along the front five. And Washington shuffled bodies along the line last year. But you got to have more than just a backup center, right, and, and Keith Ishmael. But you got Wes Schweitzer that bumps to a swing guard right now, and you got Steve Charles that could potentially play both guard and tackle spots. That's going to be important for the commanders this fall along the front five. So with that, I want to jump over to the defensive side of the ball. And I was extremely excited in these, these last few days. And I don't want to get too you know head over heels with the defense, but getting Warren Sapp out there this week to work with not just the headlining names up front that Washington has, but the guys that are going to be asked to work in rotationally behind Payne Allen, Young, and Sweat this year, and Casey Tuhill, and William Bradley King, and Shaka Tony, and second round pick for Darian Mathis, getting Warren out there and listening to the comments that he had about Washington's defensive line, and specifically about Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne in the interior. Obviously, Warren was a dominant interior defensive line for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers during his time, but it was extreme. It just gets you pumped up for the season and the potential of this defensive line that I feel like we've been talking about for a long time. And granted, 2020 was an excellent season for this ball club. And I know everyone's going to look back and say, oh, they won the division with an under 500 record. Well, if you fast forward 15, 20 years in the record book and you look back to 2020 and it says NFC East division champions is the Washington football team at the time, no one's going to say, oh, they just finished seven to nine. Right. But it's exciting because if everything can come to fruition, I feel like for once along this Washington front seven, it really sets the tone for not just the entire defense, but the entire success of the offense and then kind of meshing together as a season. Because you invested all these first round picks and we talked about it a ton along the front four. You re-up Jonathan Allen. There's some concerns right now with Deron Payne and his longevity in the burgundy and gold. That's potentially why they drafted Federian Mathis to move on in, into the next few seasons as Federian could replace Deron along the front four. And you drafted Chase Young with the second overall pick and you used a first rounder at the back end to trade up to grab a guy like Montez Sweat. But all the talent in the world is there for that group. And hearing Warren Sapp talk about, you know, quarterbacks don't want kitchens in their living room. And that's kind of how... They have to go about every single rep, every single practice, and working into the game with that mentality that I'm going to steal the offensive lineman's lunch in front of me, and I'm going to let them know about it so I can set the tone for the guys behind me when Jamin Davis and Cole Holcomb are blitzing the A-gap, so they're buzzing out our running backs and tight ends. I'm not going to give quarterbacks three, four seconds to sit back there and pick apart the defense on third and nine. I'm going to pin my ears back if I'm Chase Young and I'm Montez Sweat, and execute like I was thought of coming out of college as a potential game wrecker on the edge. And neither Chase or Montez, obviously Montez has a a couple extra years, excuse me, one extra year on Chase as far as experience in the NFL, but they've yet to to hit the double-digit sack total from an individual standpoint. Now Montez teased with it back in 2020, 
when Chase was flying off the edge on the other side, you know, he was he garnered nine sacks in the COVID year. But working into this year, it's really a put-up or shut-up season because how many years have we talked about this Washington front seven potentially being dominant? You hear it from everybody else, but the kind of the conversation has really in the hype has died down over the last few years because if they're not be, you know, able to push the pocket and get quarterbacks off their spot and disrupt timing on the outside, we saw it in week one last year when Justin Herbert was able to sit back there for three and a half, four and a half seconds and dissect them down the field. It doesn't matter if it was second and 12 after a TFL from Jonathan Allen on first down, or it was a third and seven, and you just ask Keenan, Keenan Allen to work on an option route and William Jackson who's sitting in zone, and that's just easy pickings, and that's just pitch and catch ball that they did out in Los Angeles in practice. You, you, it's just not, it just doesn't work. And as a whole, you just hearing Warren talk about the front four this week, and we're heading into a brand new year. Everyone is zero and zero in the win-loss column, win-loss tie column, as we've seen every single year, there's some ties, but everyone's 0-0 zero zero right now. No wins, no losses. You're getting a fresh slate. Everyone's healthy. You expect Chase Young to be 100%, but getting Warren in the building and getting it from a player's perspective is, I thought that was a great, 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 great addition for this week at camp as a guest coach. Washington obviously has very experienced defensive coaches and Ron Rivera as a former linebacker, Jack Del Rio, as a former linebacker in the league. So there's there's a lot of voices flying around, but a charismatic individual like Warren that can get Deron and John right on the interior, and then you stem it out to the outside with Chase and Montez. It's a nice place to start, and I think this week in minicamp, even though it's just three sessions, it's a, it's, it really gets you excited for the potential of this front four and someone that really understands the potential from someone that's been in the league, that's seen everything, and that worked on a damn dominant defense Early in the 2000s when he and Derek Brooks for Tampa Bay and Rondé Barber on the back end were wreaking havoc every single week for Tampa Bay. So Warren Sapp really got me excited this week hearing the comments that he had. And if you guys haven't heard what Warren Sapp had to say about the front four, make sure you check out his interviews and they're all over social media. From there, I wanted to talk a little bit about the secondary. And I talked a lot about Benjamin St. Just and his progress and Jack Del Rio and Ron both this week described he and Danny Johnson as standouts in the secondary throughout minicamp, which don't look too much into. It's obviously going to be different when training camp arrives and guys get pads on. And it's going to be different, especially even when you work into the regular season, because both those guys will have substantial roles. Benjamin could possibly work into the CB2 role or in Danny Johnson may play that nickel spot. Remains to be seen. But... I have been extremely impressed with two guys in, in particular, excuse me, three guys. And that's Derek Forrest, Percy Butler, and Corn Elder. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Corn first. Now, first off, he has one of the coolest names I've ever heard in my life, right? Your name's Corn, you, you, right? It's just unique, right? Corn Elder, right? But someone that's been making plays in off-season workouts and OTAs, and then you come into minicamp, has interceptions, making plays in the run game. He's tough. He's physical. He's a veteran. Showing that he belongs. And it's all you can ask is for guys to compete. I just talked about that with Mark and Michelle on the other side of the ball at the wide receiver spot. He and Corn matched up a few times this week, and Mark and got him, got Corn on a deep ball one time, and then Corn grabbed him a couple times, working over the middle field and post route. And then, like I said, he had an interception again during this week. So 
Corn Elder is somebody in the back end of this roster. You can never have enough edge rushers, and you can never have enough corners, especially as pass-happy as the NFL is nowadays. Someone like Corn that could be your CB4, CB5, or potentially even a CB6 that also works in as a core special teamer and someone that will fly down the field and not afraid to stick his face in the mud and make tackles. You need guys like that. And that kind of progression and development on the outside with, as we know right now, three corners that will start in William Jackson, Kendall Fuller, and St. Just, the depth behind them remains to be seen, whether it's him, Danny Johnson, and seventh-round pick Christian Holmes. So I've been thoroughly impressed with Corn Elder. And I wanted to talk some about Derek Forrest as well, a second-year guy out of Cincinnati, and he's been getting some work at Buffalo Nickel this week. And we talked about it before on, on prior episodes of whether it was going to be him, whether it was going to be Khalid Hudson, or even moving back into last year when they took Benjamin Shane Joost in the third round, if he was going to be the Buffalo Nickel this year because he has that coverage ability and he also has the ability to come to the line of scrimmage and tackle. Now, we saw last year that Landon Collins was more of that Shaq Thompson type, where in Carolina with Ron, he was static most of the time at the second level, but was able to roam sideline to sideline and dominate in between the hashes. Someone like Derek Forrest, who's had plenty of experience at Cincinnati playing safety, and Cincinnati's pumped out corners and safeties over these last few years. It's it's Derek, it's Brian Cook this year. Sauce Gardner obviously went in the top five of the Jets. Kobe Bryant was taken by the Seahawks. Forrest is another talent from that Bearcats defense. And him working at Buffalo Nickel is extremely intriguing because he's somebody that kind of provides that pop culture that DJ Swearinger provided for Washington at the safety spot. But if you allow Derek to play both at safety and you want him to roam back and do some things in coverage for you and throw some exotic looks at at offenses or play at the second level and if you want to use your static two linebacker sets with Jamin Davis and Cole Holcomb or you want to line them two yards off the tight end and and play him in press man I don't think right now you want to do that with him I think he's super inexperienced right now but the talent and all the boxes that he checks within Del Rio's defense are there he's very similar to to Khalid Cudson as far as their athletic ability and their build, by no means is he frail. I think you look at Percy Butler as kind of that rangy, thin safety. They kind of teased him being the Buffalo Nickel when he was drafted out of Louisiana back in April. I don't see that. I think he's a rotational safety core special teamer right now with Cam Curl and Bobby McCain and Jeremy Reeves as your top three safeties. And, And Jeremy Reeves is another guy that's received some praise this week. But for Forrest and how his potential projection looks this year playing Buffalo Nickel, I don't know how many snaps he will play, but we know that 80-85% of defenses in the NFL run out of sub-packages, and I think that's an excellent role and excellent fit for Derek. He wants to come in as a potential extra DB, extra safety, bigger physical type. You want to get hands on some guys and be physical in the run game as well and play in the box with some pop. So those are a few guys that stood out to me in the corner room because I really remain... William Jackson and, and Kendall Fuller have have to prove a lot to me this year. I think William Jackson got better as the year went on last year. And you usually, if you're not hearing the corner's name, that's usually a good thing, right? But if you're hearing the name a lot, whether it's... Sometimes it's off of ball production, but I think when I think of ball production, I think of a guy like Trayvon Diggs down in Dallas and the false narrative that surrounds him as a dominant corner because he has ball production. 
What is he doing when he's not picking off passes? And he allowed the most yards in coverage last year out of any corner in the NFL. And I don't want to hear the corner's name on the broadcast. You're making a tackle on a potential play that wasn't your assignment or you're coming up in the run making a tackle, great. But in the passing game and you're on the outside and you want to be that black hole on the boundary or to the field side, I don't want to hear your name. And for William Jackson, he's someone, again, that improved the back end of last year. But I, I want to be sold. They spent a ton of money on him last year coming over from Cincinnati. Three years, $40.5 million is a pretty penny. You know, he's not cheap. And this is year two of that deal. I've talked about Fuller a lot. His first stint in Washington, he worked in the inside at nickel. And he's got quick feet working on guys that are lighter, you know, you're not your 6'2", 6'3", X receivers that are 200 pounds. You're working on your 5'10", 5'11", guys that are 190 pounds soaking wet. And his ability to get hands on guys and that short area quickness that he has to reroute and then get his eyes up and make plays on the football did really well in his first stint. But now in his second stint, and even looking back to last year, working on the outside, I'm not sure that's where Kendall Fuller's success will come from which makes me extremely excited about St. Just as a 6'3", long, physical, aggressive, fluid, fast corner. That's a lot of traits, and you got to put it on the field and not just on paper, and also you know, more so than just OTAs and minicamp. But I would be extremely intrigued if we go into the season, or even to the meat of the season, when we get into week 8, 9, 10, with William Jackson on one side, St. Just on the other, and Kendall in at nickel working in with Danny Johnson as well and then you got your depth guys that I just spoke about and Cornelder and even seventh rounder Christian Holmes potentially working in as a sub package guy if he's able to flash some in training camp and the preseason as well so those are my thoughts on minicamp it's a great three days of work Washington also released their training camp dates the team will hold camp it won't be in Richmond this year it will be out in Ashburn at the team's facility from July 28th to August 17th. They'll also have an open session at FedEx Field on August 6th at 6.45 for everyone to attend. It's an open mission. It's free. Go out and check out Carson Wentz, the offense, defense. Get a good look at everybody before the preseason gets underway. But football is right around the corner. And I know a lot of you guys are going to be heading out on vacation soon. And then before you know it, training camp is right around the corner, as is week one against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So as always, wanted to thank you guys for tuning in. That's going to do it for today's episode. You can find all of my work at thedraftnetwork.com. This podcast is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your news, your sports, your podcasts, you can find us. You can find me on social media at underscore Ryan Fowler. And as always, everyone, thank you for tuning in. I greatly appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your week and the weekend, and I will talk to you soon. This is Commanding the Huddle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.